I'd like to begin by welcoming everybody this morning and uh, bright and early on this uh, glorious uh, autumnal day. Fall, I must remember to speak American rather than <laughs> American English rather than British English. So, so it's a great delight to be uh, back in California once more. I've uh, been living over in England the last couple of years, but I was. Um, resident here in Northern California for about 15 years and then visiting regularly for the five years previous to that. So uh, this is very much a home from home and also particularly here at Spirit Rock. I've been sitting in this spot here at the community hall <laughs> for, uh, for many years, uh, coming together for these uh, meditation days. Uh, so uh, today I'm very glad that people have you've found a uh, the space in the day, particularly this being an election day. <laughs> so, uh, it's not very hard to keep track of certain amounts of the, certain areas of the news. But I'm very glad people have come to, uh, together to um, uh, spend a, t- a certain amount of time focusing on uh, clarity and, and peacefulness uh, on a, a day when there's likely to be a lot of uh, turbulence and um, uh, uh, emotional activity. <laughs> to, uh, so hopefully today will be an opportunity to, uh, to find a, a quality of uh, stillness and peacefulness uh, in the midst of that and also help us to engage with that activity and that uh, turbulence in a, a skillful and, and well-integrated way. So I, I always like to begin these events with a, a short period of the traditional chanting. So uh, those of you who are up at the, uh, commun- uh, up at the um, meditation hall up above yesterday evening for the Monday night, uh, we closed the, uh, the evening with a chant uh, <coughs> reciting the qualities of the, the Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. So I thought we could start by doing the, the, Pal- uh, the Pali version of the same chant this morning. Andamayang chaturapamanya ho basanang karomase meta sahangate na chetasa ekang disang bartava viarati tata dutiang data tatiang data Chatutang ittiyo dhammado dhiriyang sabati sabatataya sabhavan tang lokang meta sahangate na chetasa vipale na maha gate na apamane na awe rena hambaya pajena paritava Viharati karuna sahangate na chetasa ekang disang baritava Viharati tata dutiyang tata tatiyang tata chatutang itiyo dhammado diriyang Sabati sambatatayasa bhavandang lokang karuna sahangate na chetasa vipale na mahagate na apamma nena hawe rena 
Sambhaya Pajena Paritava Viharati Mudita Sahangatena Chetasa Ekang Disangbaritava Viharati Tata Dutiyang Data Tatiyang Data Chatutang Itiyo Dhammado Diriyang Sabatisab Tataya sabhavantang lokang mudita sahangate na che tasa vipole na mahagate na pamane na awe re na hambaya paje na paritava viharati upeka sahangate Chetasa ekang disang bharitava viharati tata datiyang tata datiyang tata chatutang ittiyo dhammado diriya sabati samba tataya sabhavantang lok upeka sahangate na chetasa vipale Namaha gate na ha pamane na hawe rena hambaya pa jena paritava viharati. It's indeed delightful to see uh, many familiar faces out amongst the crowd, uh, a couple of years older, <laughs> but then of course, so am I. Uh, so uh, today um, uh, we have an opportunity to, to gather together and, as I was saying, to, to explore the ways in which we can find a quality of, of stillness uh, amidst the... Uh, the turbulences of the world. Election day is an emotionally loaded day. Uh, uh, yesterday, meeting with the, the teachers and the staff here, also um, meeting with the uh, the Monday night uh, crowd. Uh, there was uh, uh, predictably uh, questions about uh, how to deal with uh, election anxiety <laughs> and the sort of intestinal tension that can come with, with that. Uh, so some of you might even be thinking, election? What election? <laughs> but I, I suspect that's rather unlikely. Yeah. <laughs> I, even my sister over in England was, was uh, and she wrote me a, an email yesterday saying that uh, even she was aghast at the amount of, of uh, coverage the American election was getting on the, on the British TV. So, <laughs> so uh, I'm sure it's, it's in the air all around everyone. And so, whatever our, um, uh, say, our, our hopes or fears might be, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's useful to consider how Buddhist practice is really, uh, it's a set of tools that we can use to help us uh, deal with the, the circumstances of our life, to understand our own mind, our own world, uh, our own body, our own being, uh, uh, in, a, in ways that that help us to, to live in a, a fashion that is uh, integrated and, and is a bringing a quality of clarity and peacefulness and a sense of, of um, say, uh, 
a, a quality of harmony, being in tune with things. Now, probably uh, most of you are f- familiar with um, Buddhist practices, have done a certain amount of uh, meditation and done retreats and so forth. And, and uh, you know that we talk a lot about non-attachment. And, uh, and so oftentimes when we, uh, we approach Buddhism then, or we say, try to work with our mind, then the way that we pick up the idea, the principle of, not, of non-attachment is um, uh, it's based around an, an idea of, uh, sort of dissociating uh, a quality of, of awareness from what's being experienced. So that we use these words like being the witness, being the, the watcher, the one who knows. Um, and so that, that and that's very much a, a natural part, so particularly in speaking about uh, vipassana insight meditation. You know, this is a, a centerpiece of the uh, the practice, the life of dhamma practice here, at Spirit Rock, and um, and the, you know the very word vipassana. People speak about the vipassana community or vipassana meditation. This is talking about insight, and uh, very regularly when we speak about insight, it's spoken in terms of um, simply being the witness and watching the arising and passing away of of thoughts and feelings, moods and, and emotions. And uh, uh, I would certainly say that's all very well and good and, and definitely to some extent it's in, it's in accord with, with the Buddha's teachings and with what is really helpful. But also what we can do is we can, uh, in a sense, try to um, uh, pick up that uh, that practice or that principle, uh, but then we, we overdo it uh, insofar as we uh, try to make ourselves into a, a sort of um, uh, a dissociated data reception unit. <laughs> so that you are just sort of feeling, feeling, thinking, thinking, yeah, worrying, worrying, yeah. And that uh, the, the, the impression can be that what we're trying to do with meditation is turn ourselves into a kind of recording device that takes in data and processes it and then has... Uh, a, a neutralizes it on contact. <laughs> so, um, in a way, we can be, put a lot of effort into trying to sort of nullify ourselves or, or neutralize the mind. And we think, oh, well, I'm practicing really well. I don't feel anything. <laughs> you know? And uh, so, uh, I would suggest this is a bit of a mistake. <laughs> and this, isn't, this is not really what we're, we're trying to, to do with meditation. We're not trying to create an abstracted sort of uh, witnessing identity, like a little sort of CCTV camera that's kind of picking up the, the world and recording everything with no, um, uh, with no real connection, in a sense, to, to what's being experienced. Um, and so, because what, what seems to happen uh, is that um, even though we think that sort of we are being detached or we're, we're being, um, uh, say, the, the watcher, what's, what's actually happening is that there's a... a uh, an attitude of negation or nihilism that's being uh, introduced. And so that uh, uh, this can be a, a subtle uh, and um, almost invisible process. And uh, particularly when the, the messages that we get from, from the lit- literature or other Dhamma teachings seem to be promoting that or you know, talking about that or, or praising that as you know, what, we should, uh, what we should be doing and how that's a good and wonderful thing. But uh, if, if we don't notice that, then uh, what we're doing is, we're, in a way, we're, we're trying to um, 
they embody a uh, like an, an abstracted identity of this this uh, this being the one who knows or being the watcher, and that there's a a dislocation from reality. And the uh, when we we see the Buddha's teachings about um, uh, four noble truths, and the uh, the second noble truth is that the truth of the, the cause of dukkha, the cause of dissatisfaction. And usually that's spoken about just in terms of, of being desire or craving. You know, the, the cause of de- uh, desire or craving is the cause of, of dukkha, of that dissatisfaction, discontent. But, uh, and then when we think about craving or desire, then we usually think about sense desire, like uh, uh, craving for, uh, for sensual satisfaction, beautiful things to hear and see and smell and taste and touch. But... Uh, if you uh, look a little cl- more closely at, at the Buddha's teaching, then along with that, uh, that quality of sense desire being the cause of, of dissatisfaction, then it's got two uh, quiet uh, partners that uh, often don't get, don't get so much attention. So along with uh, karma tanha, the desire for sense pleasure, you have these, these two, the two partners which are bhava tanha and vibhava tanha. So bhavatana literally means the desire to exist or the desire to be, the desire to become. So that's the, um, uh, uh, the kind of getting, gaining. So this can be, whereas you think, you know, okay, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, moved by sense desire, I'm not sitting here fantasizing about pizza or <laughs> holidays in Bali or uh, you know, a new widescreen HDTV or, or the, the new... Uh, <laughs> the new iPhone 5 or 6, maybe by now. <laughs> um, but rather, uh, I think, well, I'm, I'm beyond that. But still, the mind can be very much taken up in the, the desire to become enlightened, to, to become concentrated, to, to get jhana, to get, um, uh, say, uh, blazing insights. Uh, so that the desire to become can be associated with very wholesome and, and noble, beautiful um, uh, aspirations, but it's still craving. It's still uh, it's still that uh, restless, uh, hungering urge that, uh, that that keeps the heart in a state of, of tension and turbulence. So bhava tanha, the, the desire to become, is you know uh, one partner trying to to um, get somewhere. Me trying to get somewhere with my meditation. Me trying to become a good person. <laughs> me trying to be more compassionate. Me trying to to be more uh, wise and so on, can easily be very, very wholesome objects. And then the partner, vibhava tanha, is the desire to, to get rid of, to, to get rid of our distracted thoughts, to get rid of our, our selfish, jealous feelings, to get rid of our, um, our doubts and, and problems, and to, to get rid of uh, unruly uh, emotions and to, uh, to say, uh, to not be feeling, not to be swept up and not to be... Uh, not to be caught up in things, and so that that desire to to uh, not exist, to to switch off, to not feel, and so uh, often this is a, a very uh, um, a common experience. It's, it's often the the case for for us as human beings. We shuttle between those two, either trying to 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 become happy, to get to feel good, to uh, to sort of fulfill ourselves, chasing some particular ideal, and when it doesn't quite work out, or we're really Sort of weary with the with the effort, then we just want to switch off and <laughs> and not feel. So we can often shuttle between these two: the desire to to become and the desire to to not be to to switch off. 
So that uh, when we are, are say, talking about letting go or non-attachment, often it can be that uh, this uh, uh, quality of, of uh, uh, annihilationism or the, the desire to, to not feel, to, to, to uh, say, to, to dissociate, to, to, to um, uh, say, <coughs> divorce the heart from any kind of, of feeling so that uh, we can be working very hard at our meditation, very, be doing the, the very best that we can um, to say follow the instructions, <laughs> but yet and uh, unwittingly, what we can be doing is just creating more of, a, of the causes of difficulty, more of the causes of alienation and uh, dis-ease within our own heart. So, uh, uh, what uh, I, I like to, to recommend uh, in terms of, of meditation is uh, learning how to act and to give direction. Um, to, to, to work with our mind and our, our meditation practice, but without that turning into uh, a, a sort of a becoming program, <laughs> so that uh, we, we uh, are able to, to uh, develop the qualities of concentration, develop the qualities of, of insight and, and uh, wholesomeness, but without that becoming some, uh, <laughs> to use a word, <laughs> without that being co-opted by the, the, uh, the habits of becoming, and similarly, to, to develop the, the qualities of, of detachment uh, on, or non, in, uh, non, uh, say, uh, non-entanglement, but without that being a, a quality of rejection or the, that's, that sense of aversion or switching off or not feeling. The, um, so does this make sense? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so rather than talking about uh, non-attachment or being the witness and, and those kind of things, I prefer to, the, my favorite phrase these days is unentangled participating. <laughs> so, so you can put that in your notebooks. Uh, because uh, I, I feel it's, it's we, we can, if we, 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 mis- we mishandle this idea of non-attachment, um, what we end up doing is thinking we end up praising the, the, the quality of not feeling or switching off. Or like you know, you're thinking I'm I'm really good in my practice. As I said, I'm I'm really getting somewhere in my practice. I don't feel a thing. <laughs> you know, it's like having a really good anesthetic at the dentist. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. There's there's a, there's a certain you know, comfort in that, but it doesn't really liberate us. And so this quality of of unentangled participating, uh, I feel, is a, a more helpful framework for the efforts of, of meditation. And uh, one way that, 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 uh, that uh, we can talk about this and is, is that, and to distinguish between the two, between, say, practicing with, with right effort and in a helpful way, it's rather like the, the left and the right hand. This is the example I like to use. So that on, on the one hand, <laughs> we have uh, the, the, the habits of the desire to become, the desire to get rid of. You know, trying to become concentrated, trying to become enlightened, trying to get rid of distracted thoughts and so on. So that's the, the uh, bhavatanna vibhavatanha side. And then the other, on the other hand, we have uh, what's right effort, which means uh, uh, letting go of the unwholesome, cultivating the wholesome, and so forth. And they, but just like the hands, they look very like each other, almost, you know, almost identical, but they're also opposites. Right? <laughs> so similarly, uh, in the meditation... 
the, the, the habits of bhavatanna vibhavatanna, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, they can look very much like right effort. <laughs> they can look like we're sort of doing the right thing. But um, the, the key difference is that whenever the mind is caught up in the desire to become, the desire to get rid of, there's always the I, me and mine element woven into that. There's always the I want to get more concentrated, I've got to get rid of my chattering thoughts, I want to... To, to develop insight, I've, you know, oh, I've really, I'm really doing well with my jhana now. <laughs> yeah. it's, always got, it's always got the I, me, mine element woven in there with, a, with an unquestioning uh, and uh, a, a, a kind of um, solidified presence. It's definitely me who's practicing, me the meditator, me who's going somewhere, or even me who's falling apart, <laughs> me who's not getting anywhere. It's always uh, based around and embedded with the feeling of I and me and mine. So the, the, um, the difference between that and the other approach, uh, say learning to work with the mind with, um, uh, with a, a, a more integrated attitude, is uh, that there is uh, still the, the making of effort, there's still the um, work is being done to, to focus the attention or to develop insight and so forth. But it's not coming from a place of, of I and me and mine, but rather that, that uh, activity or that work is directed by mindfulness and wisdom, by a radical attunement to the, the, uh, the mind and the, the present situation. And so that they can look just like each other, but they're also... <laughs> They're also uh, opposite, or like uh, T.S. Eliot described in one of his um, poems, it's like the, the stinging nettle and the dead nettle. They, they live side by side in the hedgerow, but they're actually, and they look like each other, but they're actually completely different plants. So uh, this, uh, with, with that in mind, uh, um, this uh, principle of unentangled participating then in relationship to, to today and the, um, the meditation and the presence of the election, of course you realize the election only applies to human beings. You know, the, the, the deer on the, on the mountainside here and the squirrels are completely uninvolved. They're oblivious. They're not having an election day, as, as far as I know. So it's also good to keep this in context. <laughs> the turkey vultures are not aware of any, any vote going on. They just, you know, it's just a, you know, another day in the, in the, the fall. So that, uh, it, uh, we, we can keep things in perspective in, in that way. But also in terms of watching the, the, the feelings of, uh, of hope or fear, anxiety, and excitement, you know, indignation, or, uh, the, the surges of feeling that, that might come up during the, the course of the day. And we'll, we'll look at, that, this, at this somewhat during the, the meditation this morning. Rather than trying to use the, your Buddhist practice and, and uh, meditation to sort of switch off the feeling and try and sort of make it go away, or, or, or look upon the feelings or emotions as unwanted intruders, it's more a matter of learning how to participate in that feeling, to, to know those feelings and re- receive them and accept them, but without confusion, without entanglement. So this is... Um, the, the key element, I feel, is, is learning how to be with the flow of our experience, with, with our perceptions and emotions and thoughts and so on, uh, to, to see them, to know them, to feel them, to not be afraid of them, or not to, to think of them as somehow being uh, intrusive or not belonging, 
but uh, also uh, in, uh, finding how in, in that very acceptance we're not being burdened by them or stressed by them or, or uh, carried away by them, but we're not freezing our heart, but we're also not letting the heart be, be uh, overwhelmed by that. And in that, that uh, unentangled participating in the realm of, of feeling and perception, then we find ourselves able to respond. So it's not, uh, we're not trying to, to make ourselves passive. So sometimes it comes across that, uh, again, like with Buddhist practice, that we're trying to turn ourselves into someone who's a completely passive observer or someone who's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm unattached, I'm and therefore taking that to mean um, I'm not involved, or I don't, I'm not going to intrude or, or disturb anything or anybody. But our very existence, <laughs> yeah, we, are, we are part of it, we are it. We are, we are part of the world. You can't really uh, detach yourself from the world, because you are the world. <laughs> and so that is, uh, rather than, than thinking that, um, say, uh, Dealing with intense emotions or feelings uh, by just, uh, uh, say, trying to be, be passive or dissociate from it uh, uh, or take a position of kind of non-involvement, it's, uh, I feel it's more helpful to consider how we can use our intrinsic involvement uh, in a more skillful way and by recognizing and allowing ourselves to, to participate, to be involved in that way, then we find ourselves more able to respond to the, the current situation that we're in, whether it's just in a conversation, whether it's in the work that we do or our interaction with the world on a, on a broader level, we're able to, to respond in a more uh, integrated and, and helpful way. So with regards to, to working with um, uh, emotion and... Um, one of the, the things that is most uh, useful, uh, a way of, of uh, working with it, is because uh, our mind likes to tell stories. You know, that we, um, we have a thought, like, oh my goodness, it's election day today, and, uh, and what that means is, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, and what happens if it's... The, um, the mind immediately gets caught up into its, its stories, its lists of things to do, and its array of opinions. About uh, about things, so uh, in order to bring develop the qualities of, of mindfulness and, and wisdom in relationship to this, uh, it's most helpful just to be able to identify what the feeling is, uh, rather than trying to sort of, uh, go into it and and uh, and sort it all out or figure out a a, a conclusion or a, an interpretation. Just to be, uh, when a, a feeling arises, um, say. The oh my goodness, it's election day today. Um, I've got to uh, I've got to go and vote, and I wonder how it's all going to turn out. And then, right there, just freeze that particular thought, <laughs> and just uh, before you let the mind go into any kind of ramifications of that, or, or projecting into the future, or dwelling upon anxiety, to just be able to, in that single wave of thought, the to be able to recognize, oh, this is the, oh my goodness, it's election day, uh, I've got to vote, and I wonder how it's going to turn out, feeling. <laughs> it's that feeling. You don't have to have a comment about it or do anything else with it. But just, just to be able to, 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 in a sense, clarify the attention. Oh, this, that's what's happening in this moment. 
is the, it's the uh, oh my goodness it's election day I've got to vote and how's it going to turn out feeling <laughs> you don't know how it's going to turn out <laughs> but at this moment that, that's, not, that's not immediately significant because what's the present quality is this, this certain feeling that's what's being known right now or um, maybe you're experiencing oh my goodness that's a great idea I never thought of that before feeling <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is and then or maybe what you're experiencing now is oh I never thought about that either feeling so uh, uh, as I was saying to, to people yesterday I use this, this kind of practice a lot because uh, being um, the, the, the recipient of the role of abbot of Amravati which um, is uh, it has a, a resident population of about 50 or 60 people uh, usually about, well, uh, on average around the year, we have eight, eight, uh, over 80 people staying overnight every day uh, in the retreat center and, and the monastery. So I'm the recipient of a lot of feelings <laughs> and opinions. And, uh, and so uh, uh, when you're in the middle seat, then you are the kind of bullseye. So when people want something to be solved or decided on or organized, then... There's one place that they go to. And so then uh, the mind can easily get drawn into trying to figure out and calculate solutions or, or solve people's problems or deal with waves of, of uh, emotions of uh, excitement or intensity or aversion or whatever it might be. And so uh, I found this a tremendously helpful practice so to just be bringing the attention to the, the felt sense of each moment. And then what, what you find is when, when you do this, rather than just, again, creating a sense of dissociation, oh, this is just a feeling, you know, it's over there, that then you, you're, in a, in a sense, identifying, clarifying what is the, the felt sense of the moment, and then bringing the attention into the body. Okay, where does this, this particular feeling sit? What's its texture? How does, it, uh, how does it sit within the body? Is it a, a tightness in the neck? Is it a, a, a vibration? Is it a... a um, Attention in the stomach is it a a, a, a quality of, of coolness? You know, what is it? Where is it? How does it feel? And then simply bringing the attention to that sensation in the body, a feeling in the body, and then when we uh, are bringing it, uh, our attention to that, there's a quality of, of kindness and acceptance within that, so that we are receiving and knowing the the quality of this moment and, and our hearts. Uh, response to it, uh, there, there's an acceptance of that. It belongs, so that there's a, a kindness towards it. So you're not uh, pretending that we necessarily like every aspect of it, but we're recognizing here it is, <laughs> and that in, in essence, this is what loving kindness is a, is about. It's uh, to do with the, a radical acceptance of all things. So when we are, are practicing uh, loving kindness, it doesn't mean we're trying to like everything. <laughs> because some things are, are not likable. But uh, what it's saying is that this is part of the natural order. This, this feeling, this mood belongs, even if it's abject terror <laughs> or, or great discomfort or, or physical stress. There, uh, we can see, well, I have a body, I have a mind. This is part of the natural order. This is how it feels. It's like this. And in that uh, quality of, of uh, acceptance, of, of, uh, of recognizing its presence, then there is a, an attunement to it. And then out of that attunement, then we become able to respond in a, in a clear and 
and say, um, effective way. And that response might be, don't do anything. <laughs> or it might be, you know, you need to say something now. Or it might be, you know, be very, very, very still <laughs> and pay attention. So that uh, uh, when, uh, when we're working with, with uh, emotion, then we're, we're not trying to push it away. We're not trying to, um, to sort of sort it all out and, and solve it on its own terms. But we're simply recognizing it as a, 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 a felt response to the presence. And then uh, by bringing that quality of awareness and receptivity to our, our emotional states, receiving it, uh, say, owning it in, in some respect, then uh, we find that quality of, of, of unentanglement. There's, there's, you know, there's a way that the heart is not swept up by the content or the texture of, of the emotion, or the, and particularly because the physical sensation of it is very straightforward. The, the body has a very monosyllabic language. You know, our thoughts get very complicated. <laughs> but the body, when you, you pay attention to its, uh, its, its moods and its sensations, uh, they're, they're very straightforward. They're very, uh, say, uh, simple and um, say discernible. And uh, by that quality of, of simplicity and, and say, uh, lack of complication, then to be able to know that, to attune that, and to have the sense of acceptance. Yeah, this is how it feels. This is the, the felt sense of this moment. Then we can, we can see that action can come forth, and it may be quite vigorous or, or determined action. We can say or do things that can be quite involving and quite engaged, but they're based upon that quality of attunement. So there's a radical peacefulness and uh, simplicity and a straightforwardness that then informs our actions and our words. So I think that's about enough by way of an introduction, a few opening reflections today. So um, we'll have a, uh, uh, a period of sitting meditation now. So uh, uh, anybody needs to adjust themselves to get comfortable, please do that. They've got plenty more cushions and props and stools and things. But uh, please get yourself sorted, then we'll have the opening sitting.
First of all, just bring attention to how you feel this moment before we try to do anything to affect or change the, the body or mind. Take a moment just to notice how does your body feel right now? Warm or cool? Light or heavy? Comfortable, uncomfortable? There is no right or wrong feeling. There's no wrong place to start. But it's always helpful to notice where that starting place is. What's the material that we're working with? Just take a moment then to notice how this body feels. How is the mood of the mind? Are we feeling tired, energetic, depressed, cheerful, excited, bored? How is it? Again, there's no right or wrong mood, no wrong place to begin. But just notice, bring attention to what's the mood that we've brought into the hall with us? How is it now? What's the material that we're working with? Now bringing attention to your spine, this uh, physical axis, uh, the central pillar of the body. Invite the, the spine to, to stretch and to lengthen to its full, comfortable, natural extension. Not to be rigid or tense, but just let the body grow stretch till the spine is comfortably at its full length, growing to its full height. And feeling the presence of the spine as a, as the very axis of the body, 
then allow the rest of your physical form, the rest of the body, to relax around that. To consciously soften the, the muscles of your face, your jaw, and your, around your eyes. Relaxing the shoulders, the, the stomach. Inviting the whole body to settle, to be at ease. Letting a wave of relaxation flow through the whole body, from the head to the shoulders, the trunk of the body, through the arms and hands, through the hip joints, to our legs, all the way to our feet. Giving ourselves permission, allowing the body to be fully relaxed and at ease, free from tension. The mind's tendency is to to drift. The attention gets snagged by passing thoughts or feelings, sounds that we hear, images that pass through the mind, memories and plans. This is completely natural and ordinary. But if we wish to to discover and to develop the qualities of peacefulness and clarity, then uh, as an intrinsic part of that, there needs to be a, a training of the attention to stay with the present moment. So we can take a simple object an easy reference point for this present reality and use that as an anchor for our attention so that as the, the attention gets snagged, caught up with different feelings, thoughts, perceptions, then we have a reference point to come back to. We have an easy way to help the attention return to this present moment.
There are many different objects we can use, a great variety. But for most people, the most accessible, most practical, is the, the natural rhythm of our own breathing. Now bring attention then to the feeling of your breath. There's no need to change or alter the breath in any way to make it deeper or slower or do anything with it. Just as the body is breathing naturally according to its own pace, just bring attention to that, to that constellation of feeling that's there with the in-breath and the out-breath. I'll take that cluster of feelings, the inhalation, the exhalation, and place that at the very center of attention, as if it was the very heart of a mandala. Let the attention rest with the breath, just feeling the body breathing, no more, no less. And then as the attention wanders, gets snagged by a, a particular thought or a feeling or a sound, as soon as you notice the attention has drifted, be aware of that drift, notice it, and consciously let go, release whatever the mind has grabbed hold of, let the attention come back to the center, back to the, the rhythm of the breathing once more.
it's important to work with the mind in a a kindly and collaborative way. So we're not setting up thoughts, moods as a as an enemy that have to be defeated or suppressed. The means and the end are unified. So if we wish to to uh, arrive at a an end which is peaceful and clear, then we need to use means that are similarly peaceful, clear, harmonious. So when you notice the attention has drifted, it's caught up with a thought or a feeling, a mood, very patiently, very gently, let go. Release whatever the mind has grabbed hold of, And without recrimination or blame or frustration, letting go of those. Re-establish the attention in the present. Feeling the flow of the breath.
it doesn't really matter how many times the mind drifts. It's not about forcing a uh, control of behavior, but more learning how to respond skillfully to distraction. So when the attention drifts and is caught up by a thought, a memory, an idea, a feeling, notice what that's like when you're aware that the attention has drifted. Take a moment to notice what that entangled feeling is like. The attention is caught up, wrapped up in a hope or a fear, a memory, anticipation. How does that feel? And when we let go, and that's relinquished, released, and there's a cessation of grasping, the attention returns to the present, how does this feel? In that moment of the, the heart, the mind being free of grasping, how does it feel? Noticing those sensations in the body, the sensation of grasping, the sensations of non-grasping. How are they? What's the contrast between the two?
Now we can experiment a little with introducing the particular qualities of emotion. So first of all, just when the mind is quiet, still as possible, just bring into consciousness the words, the election. (laughs) Just to explore the feeling. So let the mind be as still and as quiet as possible. And consciously and deliberately invite that in. And in doing this, we're not We're deliberately not trying to pick up any verbal thought or chains of association that are arising from that. But when you drop that that thought, those two words, into the, the space of the mind, notice the tones of emotion that arise. And particularly how that's felt in the body. to raise those words, the election. Notice how that feels. What effect those words have. What sensations come with them. And do your best to keep the attention simply with the sensations in the body that come with that. Whatever strings of association and ideas arise, consciously, deliberately let go of those. Come back to the felt sense, the feeling in the body. How is it? Where is it? To just open the heart to that feeling, to receive and accept to acknowledge 
simply what that feeling is in the body. Here it is. It's like this. And for the advanced practice, first of all, bring up the word Obama. <laughs> no commentary, no, uh, no positive, no negative, just in the space of the mind, just bring up that word, Obama. And once again, go to the feeling. Bring the attention to the feeling in the body. To know that, receive that. Accept it simply as it is. Obama. It's three syllables.
And now they're really advanced practice. Gathering the attention with as much composure as possible. <laughs> Bring to mind the word Romney. Romney. Two innocent syllables. Just the sound, Romney. Feel how the flow of associations arise from that. But once again, just go to the body. Feel the emotional tone that arises, is triggered in the body. With no commentary, no... uh, complaint or criticism to see if we can just feel it, know it directly. Here it is. have a period of walking meditation in a bit, but um, there's uh, time for a question or two. Any things I've been saying could use a bit of clarification or 
anyone has any particular doubts or things they'd like to ask about. Yes. Could everybody hear the question? No. Okay. <laughs> so uh, what uh, our friend was asking was uh, um, that first of all, uh, it, it seems that when you when you look at emotions, that often they don't last that that long when you're in formal meditation. But in the ordinary run of, of activity, uh, outside of formal practice, then uh, it can be harder to see emotions and and uh, how can one uh, find ways to. Uh, say, bring attention to them and to, to notice them. Is that right? Yeah. So, uh, one of the, the simplest and most direct ways of, of developing this is just to um, make a habit of asking yourself, what am I feeling right now? Just during the course of the day, um, you know, every so often, uh, just to, to bring conscious attention to that. Um, and to uh, uh, just give enough space to, to look. And often it, it doesn't take a lot of time at all. It doesn't, uh, it's, it's rather like you can carry a book around with you all day long, uh, but it, uh, and it doesn't take much effort to, to sort of stop and open the book, and there's all the words inside. But if you don't uh, open the book, you don't see what's inside it. And so similarly, uh, what we're feeling is can be pretty apparent and very close to the surface, but if we don't open the book, <laughs> then we don't notice. So what I like to recommend in this in this instant kind of instance is at the beginning of the day, like I say in the early morning meditation, uh, set the set the intention quite clearly and consciously that uh, during the course of the day uh, I will make the effort to uh, be uh, uh, observing, attending. The, to the, the moods that I feel, the flow of mood. And so that, in a sense, you're, you're putting that program in place at the, at the beginning of the day, saying, okay, I'll, I'll use this, um, uh, the, the events of the day to keep track of this, this uh, flow of change in, in emotion. And then you can use particular devices, like uh, you say, okay, whenever I change my posture, whenever I go from walking to sitting or, or sitting to standing or or, or sitting to lying down, I'll make a note of, uh, of uh, what it is that I'm feeling. Or other um, practices like uh, one year, uh, Ajahn Sumedha was um, talking a lot about developing mindfulness of doors. <laughs> you know, we go through a lot of doors in our lives. And so he just made a practice of uh, whenever, he goes, whenever he went through a door, just noticing what was on his mind, what was, what was the feeling that was there, what was his attention preoccupied with. And so uh, just using something like that, or simply if you're, um, if you're in, in the uh, process of walking, just walking uh, through a, a house or walking down the street or walking through an office or down a corridor, just to, to set the uh, uh, intention at the start of the day, okay, whenever I'm walking, as I'm walking along, 
I'll bring my attention to what, uh, what mood is there, what I, I'm feeling. So setting up little, um, uh, say, um, schedules for yourself, if you like. And then of course you forget. <laughs> you know, we get carried away and caught up. But my experience is that if you set that intention, even if you get caught up and carried away here and there, it's still there in the back of the mind. That, oh yeah, gee, I was going to, every time I was walking, I was going to be watching my mood. But here we are, it's three in the afternoon and <laughs> I've only just remembered for the first time. But at least then you remember. But it does have a, a, a powerful effect, if, my experiences, if you, if you do that. So that then, uh, if you create those opportunities or those particular um, markers in the day, uh, then just a, a moment, just a few seconds of, okay, what's, what's the mood, what's the feeling right now? And then it, it's, it's very apparent, oh, well, I'm really tense, or oh, I'm exhausted. Yeah, how did I miss that, <laughs> you know? Well, like, I'm really hungry, or um, I'm actually feeling really cranky. <laughs> and that uh, it do, it's very close to the surface most often. So it doesn't take a lot of effort. But it's just like, like I said, like opening a book. If you, if you make the effort, it's right there. So you can get creative with how you, how you do things. Or set your iPhone to, or your wristwatch to, to bleep every 15 minutes. Uh, whenever you hear a bleep or, or some kind of impact. Yeah then it uh, can kind of trigger that, oh yeah, I should pay attention. <coughs> yes? So, my question is the next step. So now I, I mean, and sometimes it doesn't take that much. You go, I'm really stressed. You're in some situation with someone, for example. And mm-hmm. Now, they're waiting for you to respond. I mean, they've asked you a question, but it was an attacking kind of a thing, and it's like, okay. I got it, and I know how I feel, and it doesn't feel good. (laughs) (laughs) And now I am required to respond to this Mm -hmm. person. Of course, I'm going to try and make it as kind as I can, but I don't like that feeling in my body, and I don't want that feeling in my body. (laughs) So, what do you do with that? (laughs) Uh, Again, could people hear that? No. No, okay. So, the... A very good question. So uh, she, uh, she was asking, "What is the next step when you can, uh, you know, that you've got this feeling? Someone is saying something to you. They're attacking you verbally, and you know this is what you're feeling, but you don't like it, <laughs> and you you are uh, uncomfortable with that feeling. Um, you know, what what do you do with that, or how do you mindfully respond? Is that yeah. so? A very good question. So this happens to me a lot, <laughs> but." Uh, not that I'm always being attacked, but it does happen quite regularly. People have strong opinions about how things should and shouldn't be and what I, you know, should be doing about it. <laughs> I'm suffering and it's your responsibility. You, know. you need to do something to make me happy. You know. Probably familiar territory for most of us. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but in, in a way... Uh, what I, just as I was saying at the very beginning of the opening talk, just to, to recognize, oh, yeah, I'm being attacked verbally and, and, uh, and, they, uh, and I have to make some kind of mindful, I, I want to make some kind of mindful response uh, and I don't like it. I don't like this situation. This is the feeling, <laughs> is that I'm being attacked I'm, I'm trying to think of something to, to, to try to find a way to respond and I'm feeling uh, uh, uncomfortable or out of my depth. 
And just to, to, to me what happens is when I recognize, oh, this is the, you know, I'm being attacked and I'm supposed to respond and I really don't like this. Then if something happens w- within me when I say, oh, this is, the, um, this is exactly what I didn't want to happen, I don't like this feeling. <laughs> that, that which recognizes, oh, this is, the, um, this, is, this is what I didn't want to happen and I really don't like this, that recognizes, oh, that, this is the I really don't like this feeling. Right there, there's, there, there's a, 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 an intuition, an intuiting of the, the, ac- the extra space that's, that's mm-hmm. present. When we're uh, under that pressure of, I've got to do something and I don't like this, and why is this happening? Um, then the mind is locked into self-view. I'm under attack. I've got to say something. And in that simple gesture of, oh, this is the... Uh, I'm being attacked, I don't like this, I've got to say something, how can I resolve this feeling? <laughs> What's happening is that in that moment, the, 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 the wisdom faculty of your own heart is recognizing, oh, this is one of those feeling things. They arise and pass away. <laughs> and that this isn't actually who and what I am. So that you're, uh, you're just allowing yourself to, to realize that extra space in the system. And... You know, obviously, you have to be pretty quick on your feet sometimes because <laughs> <laughs> that you you can't have you don't have a lot of uh, opportunity to to pause on occasion. But uh, just being able to recognize, I really don't like this. This is exactly what I didn't want to happen. Then it's not as though there's part of the mind saying, "Well, so what? Get over it." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's more it's like saying, "Yes." Life does this. Is there something intrinsically wrong with the fact that you don't like it? Ah. So that, there, that in that, that moment of, of recognition, of letting go, then there's a, in a way, there's a quality of acceptance. There's a, a seeing that, that even that feeling of I don't like it actually belongs. Do you see what I mean? It's not easy to do. Obviously, practice helps. <laughs> uh, but just in that, um, in a way, you're, that, in that moment, you're not taking it personally. And then in that little bit of extra room in the exchange, that extra space in the system, then you, uh, it's much more easy for responses to come from a non-personal place. So it's not coming from, I've got to defend myself, or I've got to make them think different, or I've got to, have a, I've got to come up with the right answer because, you know, I, sh- I, I, I should do. But it's more the moment answering itself. If you understand, if you can see what I mean with that. That it's a, a non-personal response rather than me reacting. It's difficult to do because the, the, uh, the stronger the emotions are, the more the, the, the reptile brain is contacted. <laughs> <laughs> So it's uh, also acknowledging the uh, the feelings of the reptile brain, like I don't like this. Back off! <laughs> oh yeah, or that the kind of uh, um, very uh, instinctual reactions. So a lot of it, th- that this kind of process, is to do with accepting your own um, reptile reactions <laughs> and not being thrown off balance by that. And uh, you know, self-defensiveness, or, or um, fearfulness, or aggression, or territory—you know, 
but just being able to again know those or this is the uh, you know this, these are the instinctual reactions happening and letting there be some space around that but uh, it uh, my experience of it is that the, the more that you remember to do that and just sort of let the 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 intensity of the exchange wash through the space of your awareness and the more you see oh Hey, that really worked. <laughs> oh, look at that! And then you, you, the more that you, yeah, it's like riding a bicycle. The more you do it, you know, the more the easier it is. That makes sense. Listening to what you're saying, the thought came to me as you taking that moment. That maybe the other person can use that moment as well. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. because we, if I'm not if I'm not reacting to you. I'm not defending myself against you, but if I'm able to come from that place of, oh, she's really upset. And um, so she's taking that upset feeling and is turning into this, this attack. And if I'm, if I'm able to respond to that from a place of spaciousness, then, the, the, then that acts as a mirror for you. Like, think, because rather than, well, I'm kind of defending myself and saying, back off, leave me alone, you know. Uh, then that creates more tension and alienation and more aggression. If if what is met with is is spaciousness, not a kind of numb, non you know, non reactivity, non sort of non responding, but that you're paying attention and you're you're right there for them, but you're not being uh, triggered by their uh, attack or their emotional flow. Something in the other person is is aroused to say, "What am I doing here?" <laughs> I'm really laying it on a bit thick, uh, and that it's like holding up a mirror, uh, and then so it's a great favor to them. Okay, one more, and then we'll have some walking. Just out of curiosity, um, you're answering this, this is a common question: How do we deal with this incoming aversive information and, and retain our composure? And most of us can't do it, <laughs> um, but you're a pro. As it happened, um, I recently was immersed in the in the the, uh, loving kindness section, chapter nine of the the Sudhimaga. And out of curiosity, I'm wondering if you've ever used any of the techniques to deal with this aversive incoming that are detailed by uh, Buddha Gosha. You know, giving a gift, (laughs) imagining that it's your mother. Um, <laughs> that might not work for everybody. Disassembling the incoming into its aggregates yeah. and realize that there's really nothing there. Yeah. I mean, do, do you do this? Does that? Does that <laughs> uh, I've never, I've never sort of systematically followed the whole system, but certainly some of those, to uh, uh, some of those those methodologies to a great extent. Yeah. Because often it's it's the, the the that kind of skillful deconstructing or, or, or reconfiguring the dynamic. Um, just like I, I said, you know, today is not the election day for the squirrels and the turkey vultures. It just reconfigures the dynamic. And how many of you thought, oh, right, and that uh, because it, it 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 gives a different context to what uh, what we're feeling. So that uh, those those simple ways of reconfiguring. Things or, or changing the, the the dynamic, the setup can be can be very very helpful. 
and that uh, that um, uh, also just in terms of the the incoming, you know, we can we do have a degree of control over the incoming. So we can, uh, uh, if there's a one very simple way of dealing with the overwhelm of uh, news and input is just switch off a few of your devices. <laughs> and uh, it's a very, very simple approach. It's like, don't put yourself in harm's way, <laughs> as it were. And then it, it actually gives you a bit more space. Like, uh, the, it's a, and some people can, could regard it as, well, that's a simplistic approach, but it's, it's also the kind of thing the Buddha, uh, say, recommended. He said, if, uh, if you don't wander around in the dark at night time, then you won't find yourself falling into a cesspit or kind of you know, running, into, running into guard dogs because you, you know, if, you, if you don't wander around at night time in the dark, then you can, you can see where you're going. If you wander around in the dark, then every so often you're going to fall into a cesspit or, or run into a guard dog or, or get yourself into trouble because you can't see. So that, that um, you know, where we dispose ourselves, where we put our energy or what we choose to, to expose ourselves to, there's, there's a certain amount of choice in that. So anyway, it's after 10 now, so I think it might be a good time to have a period of walking meditation. So um, uh, we've got plenty of space here. There's no other retreats going on, so we've got lots of, of room around here. So I'll encourage people uh, for the next half hour to uh, make your way outside and find a, a stretch of ground about uh, 50, 60 feet long, uh, ideally not crossing anybody else's path, <laughs> and to, to use the the uh, walking meditation, just to, to uh, use, just as I was describing the the um, uh, the rhythm of the breath as a reference point, just to use the, the rhythm of your feet walking up and down as a reference point. And um, uh, you know, you can also use this both as an opportunity to sustain the quality of composure while the, in a more active mode, but also um, to explore emotions. So. Uh, you can get creative with this if you like, kind of reflect on Obama in one direction and Romney in the other direction. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, or just in one direction just to reflect election and the other direction to reflect no election. Yeah. Who, who, is, who is being elected? And to let go of the whole thing. A couple of things to mention first, um, perhaps, so to seed discussion a little. Uh, one of the things that, that can easily come to mind is that uh, we can say, oh, well, uh, recognizing my own personal feelings, oh, this is just you know, my feeling, it's just, it's just uh, my life and my ordinary little world. But, you know, we're, we're talking about global issues, we're talking about... Uh, Climate change. We're talking about uh, the uh, uh, 
the air, the water, the the um, the whole ecosystem. You know, this is a really serious problem. I mean, we've got to really address this. This is this is really different. This is a whole different magnitude. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta. I mean, this isn't just me in my life. This is the, the whole big thing, right? <laughs> and so we can then uh, say reflect on what I've been saying earlier today and, and then assume, well, it doesn't, doesn't really apply to the big issues. But I would say it exactly applies to the big issues too because what uh, is happening in that is that we, in that uh, recognition of these larger scale issues that certainly do involve all of us and all uh, the whole ecosystem and the whole living order, but yet... Um, in exactly the same way, in that saying, yeah, but this, this really matters, this is really important, we've created an idea of what's really important, we've, when we've gone out and inhabited that idea, and at that very moment we're missing the, the feeling that we're experiencing. And so it's not negating that it, these, it is extraordinarily important and significant, but uh, what I've been saying about this kind of practice is that, yes, that's extraordinarily important and, and in an essential and uh, fundamental way, but what's the feeling that's happening here? <laughs> what's the, the felt experience of these global issues? Uh, just before I, I left California in uh, 2010, I did a, a series of four classes on um, the foundations of mindfulness, the four elements, and uh, uh, eco-anxiety. So I wove those three different pieces together. It's kind of interesting uh, ex- experiment, um, but uh, um, it was. Uh, I think it's important to recognize that uh, it's not belittling those issues to say, yeah, but what's the feeling happening here? What's, what's my own felt experience of it? It's not saying, that doesn't matter. What matters is me and my feeling. It's not that at all. What we're doing is by recognizing, oh, this is the felt experience of that here. This is how this impacts my, my heart, my life, my, my being. And then by being able to recognize that and acknowledge that, be in tune with that, then you find the space to react and to work uh, skillfully with the bigger issues. You are able to to see more clearly and and, uh, in a more integrated way how we can uh, be uh, offering something which is helpful and beneficial. So it's actually that spaciousness informs our response and helps it to be more uh, effective. So that in a way it's... Uh, it helps us to that that awareness of our own uh, our own feeling and mindfulness and disentanglement from that helps us to to relate relate more effectively to the bigger picture. So that's one thing. And the other thing is uh, often uh, just in conversations with people today and, and uh, uh, generally, what we often um, uh, do is we make the mistake of of uh, trying to uh, place the ideal me at the center of the picture. Like, you know, the perfect Ajahn Amaro would always be like this, and he'd never be like that, he'd never do this, and he'd always do that. And... But actually, he doesn't exist. <laughs> He's not around. And so you, I've got this one. And so that uh, so often we're in d- d- situations dealing with our, our family or our health or our work or our, uh, you know, the largest situations, and that we feel, I don't know what to do, or I, I know I should let go, or like the, there was a, a question someone was saying, uh, I, I know I should let go, but I can't. I mean, it's, it's too difficult, I mean, it's too personal, it's too intense. Um, and uh, 
in that instance, what I, I always say, what I was just saying a moment ago was to this, this person was, well, the perfect you would be completely composed and clear-minded and would be utterly <laughs> un, uh, unattached, but uh, she doesn't exist. <laughs> And what what we're experiencing is is this person who is in the middle of a situation and and uh, finds it very hard, impossible to let go. And but that's where we are. It's not like like I was saying. You have to start from where you you start from where you are to use Pema Chodron's um, expression. Or a, or a, like last night I was quoting that uh, a, a well-known joke um, that uh, you know a, 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 a traveller, a family going through the back lanes. Uh, Traveling in the in the in the countryside, and they, they're a bit lost. They don't know uh, the the way, and they stop and ask a local, uh, "Oh, excuse me, we're you know we're we're say using the English environment, you know, say, oh, we're trying to get to Barnstaple, and then the the person they sort of say, oh, Barnstaple, well, uh, we to get to Barnstaple, well, I wouldn't start from here if I was you, <laughs> you know." And we laugh, it's crazy, but we do that all the time. It's like, that's what we do. Like the, like, uh, that we, but we, we, we neglect the fact that this is, this is where we are. This is where we're starting from. And so it's not a matter of where we should be or how we could be, but you know, where we are. And so one of the most helpful teachings that Ajahn Chah gave on this area is that uh, 50 to 70% of the, pra- of the practice is knowing that we should let go and not being able to. So that you know, okay, this is stupid to hang on. This is uh, I, I, uh, I know I'm really wrapped up in this, and it, this is painful to hang on. But <laughs> this is really stupid. This is really stupid. It's not happening, is it? You know? And but the very the, the mysterious and wonderful thing is that very the very presence of that awareness that says that recognizes this is really stupid. <laughs> And that, that recognizes, oh, I, I, it would be wise to let go, but I can't. That very awareness is the thing that helps to erode the, the, and loosen the clinging. So that it's uh, that recognition of not trying to inhabit the perfect me who's somewhere else and somebody else, but, but uh, starting from where we are and not looking down on that. So anyway, we've got time for a, a, a few questions. There's a hand, yes. If you can... Mm-hmm. And um, that's on dharmaseed.org. And I um, found that at some point after I experienced you. And um, I find that if I listen to that in the morning, the first time I listen to it, my mind is crazy. And the second time I listen to it, I'm a little more calm. And the third time I listen to it, I'm, I'm centered. And my day goes completely differently. If I start there, you were talking about anchoring or grounding. Mm-hmm. Because all day long I notice how far off I am from what my ideals are. And um, I'm hoping at the end of the day perhaps you might chant that for us, but I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But even if you can't, I recommend it to everyone. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been really a lifesaver for me. Very good. There was the Metta Sutta. uh, We'll finish with that in a few minutes. It's the uh, the one that begins, uh, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. So that's a good way to start your day. <laughs> I'm impressed you listened to it three times over. <laughs> so uh, uh, 
uh, and actually I, I'm uh, in the process of getting the, the, um, that day long transcribed, so that'll be, hopefully that'll, that'll be turned into a little, uh, a little book next year. Yes. <laughs> and I wondered, just talking lots about it. I also want to say that I'm really missing the seasonal days here with you, sitting yeah. long days. And uh, my attached part want to ask, are you ever coming back? Well, to to respond to your the two pieces of your question, yeah, uh, actually. For Buddhist monastics, we are uh, forbidden by our rule to, to take sides politically and to promote particular political parties. We can promote integrity <laughs> and wisdom and goodness, and uh, but it, it's uh, it's uh, particularly in Thailand they're very very strict so socially the the society really. Um, uh, looks to the monastic order to be non-partisan. And if any particular <laughs> monastery starts to take sides, what will happen is that people stop offering alms food <laughs> so that they, are, um, they get the message pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, and I feel that's extremely skillful because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very easy to take sides. But a, a monastery... Uh, is supposed to be a place that's a spiritual sanctuary. And that's one of the most beautiful things, that you can find people who are side-by-side who are arch-conservatives or very liberal or green people, and they're all sort of happily elbow-to-elbow, uh, you know, elbow, and they can appreciate the teachings, and the teachings can help them in very direct ways. And that, uh, so that a, a monastery should be a, a, an open center, or like, a, like Spirit Rock should be you know, an open center that welcomes everybody, regardless of... Spirit, uh, of political disposition. So uh, I, I try in the way I speak to be as non-partisan as possible. I'm also aware of the audience that I'm talking to. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it's also important to respect that, that people who, whom we might love to hate, uh, that they do also have uh, wholesome and noble attributes within them that we, are <laughs> we can edit out of the picture. And similarly, the people who, are, who we, we love to love can have aspects of them that, that are not beautiful or not worthy or not, not respectable. So uh, uh, that, uh, I feel, is an important principle. Uh, and certainly as a monastic, we are expected to, to follow that, that mode. Yeah. The, uh, in terms of... of uh, Coming uh, of visiting here, it's what your, your 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 comment or your question makes me think of um, someone who goes on holiday to a beautiful place. Oh, this is incredible! This is fantastic! This is so amazing! And they're already worrying about whether they'll have time to come back again next year. <laughs> like day one of the holiday, they've still got two weeks ahead of them, and they're making themselves miserable because they're worried about whether they can they can get it again next year. You know, and I've seen this happen in my own family that where. 
deep anxiety about whether we'll be able to rent the same house next time. <laughs> so therefore, you know, you're making yourself miserable. So I would say, you know, carpe diem. You know, seize the day that uh, you got me at the moment. <laughs> so uh, make hay while the sun shines. Cause, uh, but it's it's almost over, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but that's, that's life, you know, we never know. We never know what's around the next bend. You know, we never know what the opportunities are going to be here. So rather than, than worrying too much or, or fretting too much about what the future might offer, then it's important that we, uh, let's say, take advantage of the moment without, uh, without clinging, you know. Kiss the joy, kiss the joy as it flies. As they say. Okay, one last one. Yeah. It's so lovely to be with you. Thank you for being here. Can you give us any news of Ajahn Sumedho, his well-being, whether he's teaching at all? Um, I don't know if his location is secret. Or <laughs> <laughs> so she's asking. Uh, her name's Kathy. Is that right? Mary. Mary. Excuse me. Uh, Mary was asking um, about Ajahn Sumedho's welfare and whereabouts. So his location is not secret. <laughs> he is living at a monastery called Wat uh, Ratanawan in Korat province. That's about three hours uh, east and a little north of Bangkok. And uh, it's a, a monastery that's at the foot of a, uh, a, a, a kind of table mountain, which has got a very ancient forest on the top. Called, uh, and it's a, it was the first national park in Thailand. It's called Khao Yai. And it's a very well-protected and wonderfully rich forest. So it has lots of wild animals like elephants, tigers, wild buffalo and things. And so he lives in a little forest monastery at the foot of the mountain. There's another, a number of other monasteries that are there. So you often get interesting large creatures wandering through. <laughs> you, know, you might think, oh, dang, those termites. He is like, dang, those elephants. You know, they, <laughs> they make such a mess. You know. You know. So... Uh, and they've they've built him a, uh, a a a very delightful kuti, like a hut, <laughs> which is about half the size of this building. <laughs> very nice. So he has incredible uh, accommodations, karma. Uh, he does. Uh, so it's a two story a two story kuti, with a covered uh, walking meditation path, and beside this this um, lake. And uh, also the, the abbot of the monastery, Ajahn Yanadamo, is an Australian monk, and he's very protective. So the whole way it's set up, you can't actually, sort of, you, there's no way you can drop in on Ajahn Sumedho. <laughs> but he's there, and um, he's very skilled as a property developer, uh, Ajahn Yanadamo, so it's very beautifully arranged. Also, uh, many of you might know that there's been a huge amount of redevelopment in China, particularly cities like Shanghai, Shanghai. So many, many old Chinese buildings have been demolished. So all the woodwork and brasswork and door fittings and window fittings are on the market. So Ajahn Yanadamo did a little um, maneuvering and managed to acquire a whole uh, uh, array of wind- doors and windows and shutters with all this uh, old Chinese uh, woodwork and, and brasswork. And, and uh, many of you might not know, but uh, ever since childhood, Ajahn Sumedho was very deeply fascinated by China. He was actually, when he was a teenager, he, was, he had a place to go and study at St. John's University in Shanghai when he was 14. Not what the average 14-year-old in Seattle was aiming for, but he was heartbroken when there was the communist revolution and he was no longer able to go to China. But he grew up loving all things Chinese 
And so he now lives in this beautiful kuti in Thailand with all his kind of Chinese fixtures, ancient Chinese fixtures and fittings. Also, health-wise, he's 78 now. And many of you might know he always had a swollen foot. He had lymphedema in his right right leg. Um, And uh, that has pretty much been cured. He'd had uh, an incalculable number of different treatments and nothing ever worked. And finally, at the beginning of this year, he got uh, in- encouraged to visit this, this uh, specialist in lymphedema in Bangkok. And it's a, a Thai doctor who was also trained in Japan. And he developed this te- technique of a lymphatic drainage massage and a tight bandaging, tunique bandaging. And um, the treatment has worked. So uh, when I, was, I saw him in January... And he had to use a walking stick, a cane, the whole time. And his, his feet were numb. He couldn't, had no sensation in the soles of his feet, so he was very unsteady on his feet. And he needed someone to help him to stand up, sit down. So uh, it looked pretty rough, but then he had, since that time he had this treatment. I saw him again in June, no walking stick. And he has the sensation back in his feet, and his feet are uh, regular-sized. <laughs> They're trim, so... Uh, and he looks about 15 years younger, so he's greatly enjoying his retirement. Uh, he doesn't need a secretary anymore because every invitation to teach is answered with no. <laughs> so, uh, and the, the last uh, three months or so, he's just been staying in his kuti, and uh, a monk would bring him his food once a day, and he just uh, stays there and communes with the, the forest and... Happy as Larry, as they say. <laughs> so it's uh, having a great retirement. And, uh, yeah, and no commitments for the future. So we are um, in the process of putting, for his 80th birthday, presuming that he lives that long, we are putting together uh, collected teachings. So all the different books of, of his teachings and then various articles, interviews and such like that have appeared in Inquiring Mind or The Middle Way or Forest Sangha newsletter. So it'll be about seven volumes altogether. Uh, and so that's uh, myself and Ajahn Sajito are currently pulling all that together. So, of course, Ajahn Sumedho himself is utterly indifferent <laughs> <laughs> to his own published word, but it uh, doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, it's not for him, it's for everybody else. So, so that's, uh, that's happening. Um, and so we aim to get that, that done in time for his 80th birthday of. Uh, July 2014. So I think that's enough for today. We'll finish with the Metta Sutta by popular demand. <laughs> and uh, so then uh, you can just uh, compose yourselves and just uh, let yourself uh, listen to the sound of these words and then let, the, let it uh, wash over you and to take this as an opportunity as a time to just let the, uh, the dialogues and the practice of uh, today just... Uh, soak into the system. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, 
peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life a child, her only child. So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness. One should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. So repeat as necessary. (laughs) 